Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for joining us this morning as we continue to worship through God's Word. When I was 12 years old, um, I started in the middle school ministry at our church, and man, I thought like this was going to be a game changer for me. No longer in elementary school, now I get to hang out with the cool kids. And I might be in middle school, but I looked like a high schooler just without the facial hair yet. Sideburns were coming in a little weak, but I was getting close. And I remember we would sit through the lesson, youth pastor would get up, he'd do the lesson, and then we'd go to our groups. And I remember having the coolest group leader that I could ever imagine. In football, I was an offensive lineman. I was also a defensive end. He was a senior. No, he was a sophomore in high school that was on the varsity squad. This guy was a superhero to me. He would go on the next year to win state. If you win state in 5A in Texas football, that's basically like winning the Super Bowl anywhere else, okay? It's just as hard as the NFL. Everyone's just as talented. There's no doubt about it, okay? At least in my mind. So he let me wear his state championship football ring. This guy was a hero to me. And not only was he big, not only was he strong, but he loved Jesus. He loved Jesus well. And he taught us, he taught me and my knucklehead friends in sixth grade what it looked like to love Jesus. And he stuck close to us and he asked us questions. He wanted to know how our lives were. He would show up at my football games. He would take me to Brahms because Brahms was the only place that made chocolate milkshakes that wasn't vanilla ice cream with chocolate syrup inside of it. It was true chocolate ice cream turned into a shake. And those are the priorities that you really look to in a young man <laughs> as a middle schooler. This guy was a superhero to me. And I never saw him do a miracle, but if you asked me if he could walk on water, in my mind, certainly he could. And I went through seventh grade. We got closer and closer. We went to a Rangers game. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. I was like, why is this guy hanging out with me? He has a car. Why is this weird? <laughs> I stink. I just figured out what deodorant is. I don't understand this relationship. But he kept pouring into my life. He kept pouring into my life. And then I was in eighth grade, and he was a senior in high school. And then he graduated. And he's like, hey, man, it's been a really good three years being your leader on Sunday mornings, hanging out with you, discipling you, mentoring you helping you see what it is to love people, serve people, and love Jesus, and live your life for Him. I got to grow close to the Lord because of this young man. And he said, hey, I've, I'm going off to school, and so you're going to have a new leader next year. And I just remember feeling like my world was crushed. Like, how dare you go to college, bro? Okay, like, the audacity that you have to leave this group of middle school boys. What are you thinking? This is forever, man. All right, you leave here, there's going to be blood. All right? And there wasn't. We got bloodied up a lot because we tried to take him down. It was never successful. But there was a time of confusion. The leader was leaving. This man that we had spent three years alongside was now going off to do different things, to a bigger lake, to a bigger avenue. And God was going to continue to use him. And it's a lot like the same situation we find the disciples in today when we dive into John chapter 14 verses 1 through 5. The disciples have spent three years with Jesus. He called them. They were young men. A lot of them would have been middle schoolers in today's society. And Jesus says to them, in the midst of all the craziness, in the midst of everything that has happened, Jesus starts us off this morning before his I am statement in John 14, verses 1 through 5. In just the first half of 14, verse 1, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Now, why is Jesus saying, let not your hearts be troubled? 
the disciples are at this place in the ministry of Jesus in their life with him where they find themselves on a roller coaster. And I'm talking, they went from the peak and they are coming down from that peak fast. They just saw Jesus enter into the city in the triumphal entry. They think that the Messiah, it is his time. He is going to take over. Rome is about to be kicked out and we will be liberated. We will be set free. Jesus just washed the disciples' feet. And they weren't walking around in tennis shoes. These are guys that were nasty, that were walking around in sandals. Jesus just warned them that there was a traitor in their midst. And he didn't point out who he was, but they're kind of looking side to side. And things were really good. I thought this was going to be the next step. I thought Jesus was about to take over, and that's not the case. Jesus is laying out what is about to happen. And at the same time, Peter broadcast his loyalty to the Lord. Lord, I will never betray you. I will never deny you. And Jesus says, no, surely before the rooster crows three times, you will deny me three times. And in the midst of their stress, in the midst of their anxiety and their confusion, Jesus tells them not to let their hearts be troubled. Now this is a little bit more than Jesus saying that he is going off to college that is two hours away. What Jesus is saying is that I'm about to die. I'm about to take the cross. This life that we've had together, that we have known, these miracles that you have seen, this is all pointed to this. Everything points to the cross, my life, my ministry, everything to my death, and then to my resurrection. What I came here to do is about to take place, and these disciples are confused. No, surely not. You cannot leave. Let not your hearts be troubled. Jesus continues, verses 1 through 5. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. And then just as last week, Thomas, doubting Thomas, speaks up in verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. Not only do we not know where you are going, but we do not know the way. We'll take it all the way back to verse 1, and we will dig into this. Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. The disciples are in the midst of chaos. They're in the midst of turmoil. The leader is about to leave. What are we going to do? What is about to take place? He says he is going to take the cross. The Last Supper has just taken place. This, there's a traitor among us, and then the most loyal of all of us is about to deny him. This doesn't make sense. Everything is upside down. There is anxiety. There is distress. There is despair in this situation and in these disciples' lives. And what does Jesus say in the midst of all this? He says, believe. Believe. And when Jesus says this, this is an imperative. This is a command. When Jesus says, believe in God, Jesus is saying, no, you believe in God. Let not your hearts be troubled because you, my disciples, you believe in God. Believe in me. So what does it mean to believe? To believe means to trust. To believe means to trust in what Jesus is doing, to trust in his greater plan, not in our smaller story, but in the bigger picture at what is at play, what is at stake here. And when Jesus confronts their doubts, their stress, their turmoil, what does he say? He says, believe in God. 
he reminds them of the very basics, the very foundations of the life that they have been living in following Jesus. Believe in God the Father. What are the basics there? What are the foundations? The basics are that God is sovereign. The basics are that God reigns supreme. He is in charge. He is the victor. He is the champion. He is in charge. God is omniscient. God is all-knowing. Knowing everything, he knew that this was the path that Jesus had to take to forgive the sin of the world. Believe in God. You're stressed out right now. You are anxious. You are depressed at what is taking place. Remember that the one whose will I follow is the one who's writing all these plans. He's written the script, and he knows exactly what needs to happen. Believe in that. Trust in him. He knows all, and he has everything planned out for his good and for yours. Remember that he is omnipotent, that he is all-powerful, that anything that he needs to do, he can do, and he is about to do through his one and only son, Jesus, and believe and remember that he is omnipresent. He is everywhere. Trust in these things. Take it back to the basics in your lives right now. If you are stressed, if you are distressed, if you are in turmoil, if you are depressed, if there is anxiety in your life, believe in God. If you are a Christian, then remember that you already believe. That is the imperative. That is the command that you believe. So trust and take it back to the basics. Take it back to the basics of who God the Father is and remind yourself of these things and remind yourself of why you trust in God the Father. And then Jesus says that he is preparing a way for us. He is preparing a way for us into heaven into the eternal presence, the eternal love of the Father. I think, uh, I think Airbnbs are pretty sweet, all right? If that's my confession to you this morning, that's it, okay? Uh, me and Jacob went on a sermon retreat where we ride out, we try to figure out and pray over all the sermons that we are going to preach over the next year and a half, and we went to an Airbnb in Flagstaff, and this place was legit, it looked over the San Francisco peaks. It was a beautiful place to dive into God's word. But the thing is with Airbnbs, same as hotel rooms, anything like that, is before you show up, the place is an absolute mess. All right? From the other person that stayed there before, the mess that they left the place, and then what happens is the person that owns the Airbnb or housekeeping comes in, and they clean the room up. They prepare it. They take it from a mess they prepare it, they clean it up, and they get it ready for you to arrive so that when you arrive, the place is ready for you. There is a mint on your pillow, or it is just clean, it is pristine, and it is ready for you to just use it, all right? Jesus is doing the same thing. Jesus says, I go to prepare a way for you spiritually. Our houses, the places that we stay in our lives here they were a wreck and jesus is going to prepare a way he is preparing that way through the cross the place that we are staying and dwelling in this life in this physical realm and spiritually because of the sin in our lives is a mess it needed to be clean and the only way to clean it was for jesus to prepare a way and to take the cross and when jesus takes the cross he takes our sin and he gives us his righteousness the way is prepared and the way is where to heaven. The way to an eternal life in the Father is only through Jesus. Jesus prepares the way for us. So the house, the wreck of our lives that was once disgusting is made clean through the forgiveness of Jesus on the cross, and a way is prepared, and that place is in heaven. 
in the presence and in the love of the Father and has been prepped for us so that we can go, we can arrive through the work of Jesus and we can enjoy the love everlasting for an eternity of the Father. He is going to prepare a place for us. He was going to prepare a way for the disciples. And so when he says believe, this seems crazy right now, but I am going somewhere to prepare a place for you in the work that I am about to do in my death and resurrection. Do not be stressed. Do not let your hearts be troubled because I am doing something bigger here and you may not understand it right now, but you will understand it and it will change who you are. So the disciples believe. And although Jesus is leaving, he is coming back to take them there, to be with him. And we believe. We believe that although we have made a mess of our life, that Jesus has made a way for us to the Father, to heaven. He has prepared a place for us in heaven, and he is coming back, and he is taking us there. And we can believe that because of the statement that he says, in John 14, 6, and this will be our focus for the rest of the morning. So John 14, 6, go ahead and turn there. Jesus said to them, I am the way. Here it is. This is our sixth I am statement. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way, Jesus is the truth, Jesus is the life. And our first point of three this morning is Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way. This is a back-to-basics morning this morning. This is something that you have probably seen on a coffee mug, on a bumper sticker, painted on some pallet art in somebody's house if they are a Christian. This is surely something that you have seen, you have heard if you've grown up in church, if you read your Bible. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the way. So this morning we compare religion to Jesus, and in religion we see that religion says that there is a way. Not that Jesus is the way, but that there is a way. And that way is often found inside of ourselves. And that way to salvation, that way to God, is often in what we can do ourselves. It is often in the works that we can do throughout our days, throughout our lives. And hopefully, by the end of our lives, enough of those works will add up so that when we die and we stand before the Father in heaven and we are being judged, he says, why do I let you in? I'm I'm a good person. Well, I did all of these things. And that is not enough. Our works are not enough. Religion says that there is a way, and it's often found within ourselves. So if you just do enough, if you just live a good enough life, then surely you can get to the Father. That is not true. That is the biggest lie that so many of us fall for. There is nothing that we can do to get to the Father, and we see that in the gospel, because the gospel does not say that Jesus is a way, depending on what religious background you may have grown up in. Your Bible may have been twisted to say that Jesus is a way, and that is heretical nonsense. If that is what the Bible you have says, toss it aside and pick up the real word of God that says Jesus is the way. He is not a way. He is the only way to the Father. And this is an exclusive claim. But by being the way, Jesus is saying that I can take you 
from this point of sin and death in your life, and I can take you along, along a route, along a road that will lead you from sin and death and lostness and hopelessness into true life. I am the way. The only way to the Father is through me. Religion says that we have a hurdle to remove, an obstacle to get over on our path to God, and the gospel says that Jesus has taken care of that. That path, that obstacle, that hurdle that we need to get over in order to get to God, that is sin that is in our life. And that sin is only taken care of through Jesus on the cross. And so religion says, I can save myself. But the gospel says that my only chance for salvation is found outside of myself, and it is found in Jesus. When we get to heaven and we stand before the Father, And we are being judged, and the question comes up, why should I let you in? If the first words out of our mouth are, I did this or I did that, we have completely missed the point of the gospel. The first things that we should say is, he did this. He took my sin. He took the cross for me. He died for my sins so that I could be made clean, so that I could be made in right relationship with you, God. It is not about what we can do. Religion says, do this, do that. Do X, Y, Z, and A, B, C, and hopefully if you get that right, then salvation will be yours, and hopefully you're good enough to get in. But the gospel says that you are not good enough. You will never get in by your own works. Jesus says that your best works are like a dirty rag. There is nothing that we can do to earn our salvation. But our salvation given to us and a gift from Jesus. And only in Jesus are we reconciled from sin and made right with God. In the Old Testament, there's this thing called the curtain of separation. This curtain of separation was set up in their tabernacle, and it was a curtain to separate the Levitical high priest. That is a bunch of fancy-sounding words that said the tribe of Levites that were the priests that would help conduct these worship ceremonies, they would go into the Holy of Holies once a year. And the Holy of Holies was where they would have the Ark of the Covenant, or the Ark of the Testimony, as we read it here in Exodus 26, verse 33. And they would enter into the presence of God, the Holy of Holies. And if they did not go through the right religious um, sacraments, if they did not go through A, B, C to remove the sin from their lives before they went before the Holy of Holies, they would enter the room behind this curtain of separation and they would die. And they would do this once a year. And enough people died that they started tying a rope around their waists and putting a bell around them. So when they stopped hearing the bell, they would know, surely Fred did not repent of his sin, and he went before the Holy of Holies. And let's call all the other Levitical high priests. Let's, let's play a little tug of war to get Fred's dead body out behind the Holy of Holies from this curtain of separation. There was a curtain of separation because we were sinful people, because as humans, we were flawed, we were faulty, and we could not be in the presence of God. Exodus 26, 33. And you shall hang the veil from the clasp and bring the ark of the testimony in there within the veil. And the veil shall separate for you the holy place from the most holy. The holy place from the most holy, where the ark of the covenant was. And then we see Fast forward hundreds of years later, at Jesus' death, 
that that veil that separated man and God is torn. In Matthew 27, verse 51, Jesus has died on the cross, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. In this moment of Jesus' death, because he was the perfect sacrifice for our sin, at his death, we are given a way into life. We are given a way into forgiveness. We are given a way into the presence and the love of the Father. He took our sin, and in turn, we receive his righteousness. And the separation between God and man is torn. Physically, it's torn from top to bottom. There's not a homeboy up on the ladder grabbing the top of that curtain saying, Jesus is dead, grabbing the top and just riding it all the way down. The curtain would not have torn. This thing was strong. This thing was to protect people from death so you don't have to pull their dead bodies out. No, the curtain was torn from top to bottom because God, in his beautiful symbolism, says that the work has been done. And it is not what man can do, tearing it from bottom to the top, but the work has been done by Jesus on the cross. And because of the work of my son on the cross, the separation between me and you is no more. We see that in the physical realm, and we see that in the spiritual realm, in his sacrifice. Other religions will say that morality, that charity, that penance, that last rites, that karma, that reincarnation, or martyrdom are the way to salvation. And the gospel says that Jesus is the only way to salvation. And that is backed up in Acts 4.12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the way. Jesus is not a way. He is not an option to get into heaven. He is the only way into heaven. He is the only way into relationship and right standing with the Father. And we can believe what he says when he says that he is the way because he is also the truth. Second point today, Jesus is the truth. This is proven and fulfilled it is a fulfillment of the Old Testament scripture all throughout John. So we have been in the gospel of John as we go through these I am statements. We are going to continue in the gospel of John as we prove that Jesus is the truth. And we see that Jesus is full of grace and he is full of truth. John 1.14. Y'all hang on, buckle your seatbelts. This is going to be a wild ride. A lot of just machine gun scriptures right here, okay? John 1.14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as only the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So truth dwelt among us. John 1.17, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. John the baptizer, or John the Baptist, gave witness to the truth within Jesus. John 5.33, you sent John, and he has borne witness to the truth. And then we see that he bears witness to the truth within himself as he goes before Pilate before he is put up on the cross. In John 18, 37, then Pilate said to him, you are, So you are a king? And Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Jesus is the truth given to us by God the Father. Fully 
realize in man, 100% man, 100% God, he is not a truth, he is the truth. He is not a segment of the truth, but he is the whole truth, and the truth that we know and believe and can follow today is built on the foundation of who Jesus is. All truth is in him and rests within him. If he were not the truth, then his claim to be the way would be aimless, and his claim to be the life could be false, and we could not put our trust in it. But we see over and over throughout Scripture, through the prophecies of the Old Testament, and through them being proven correct and fulfilled in Jesus, that he is who he says he is. He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He is our salvation from our sin. And because he is the truth, we can trust him. Because he is the truth, we can build our lives on the foundation of Jesus. We can read his word and we can directly apply it to our life as something that we so desperately need. The third thing this morning is Jesus is the life. Jesus is the life. And he, again, is not a life, but Jesus is the life. True fulfillment true purpose, true satisfaction within your life can only be found in him. Our mission statement as a church is creating community to discover true life in Jesus. When we moved from Texas into this community, we came, we checked things out, we felt like God was calling us here to start a church we kind of took a look around the community. We saw a lot of people that were a lot like us, a lot of people that are trying to do the things that we tried to do as a family to find life, to find fulfillment, to find satisfaction until we handed our lives and our marriage and our children over to Jesus. There are so many lives that we can live and there are so many lives that we are seeing lived out and that we are trying to live out within our homes, within our neighborhoods, within our community. You can drive around and you can see so many lives being lived. You can see the homeschool mom with her kids at the park trying to act like everything is okay, trying to do her best to raise up her kids to teach them. You can see the dads who work hard, who drive into the city to bust their tails all day long to provide for their families. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if we are putting our hope in those things for fulfillment, for satisfaction, then what we are going to find is that it leads to emptiness. We can look in the garages of so many people on our street alone who just have side-by-sides and, and four-wheelers and I guess four-wheelers just another word for ATV and dirt bikes and motorcycles and all these toys. And some people have all of those things and then they have a pop-up camper or a driving camper, or all kinds of toys. And so we see that we are looking to things to make us feel happy, to feel like we are having fun. We are trying to live all these versions of life. And it's not about having a husband that makes a lot of money. It's not about having a husband that is strong or handsome. It is not about how much money your wife makes, or how good-looking your wife is, or how well-behaved your kids are. Those things, they're all right. But those things will never lead to life. Those things will never live to lead to satisfaction. Those things will never lead to fulfillment. The only thing that will ever lead to fulfillment and purpose in life is Jesus. And so as a church, our purpose, 
our mission is to create community within these master plan communities that we live in where we just never talk to the people around us. Our goal as a church is to bring people out of their homes more than just taking the trash out on Thursdays and bringing it back in, more than just getting the Amazon boxes and coming back inside, more than just driving to Dollar General when you ran out of butter and driving back. It's more than that. We want to live life together. We want to experience true life that is found in Jesus, and true life is only found in Jesus, not in our status, not in our paychecks, not in our wealth, or our lack of any of those things. It is only found in Jesus. I saw a Facebook post this week. It was a post about Greg Laurie, who is a legendary pastor out of California, a great evangelist, um, talking to someone who I thought I would never see Greg Laurie talking to, um, his friend, in his words, Alice Cooper. Does anyone know who Alice Cooper is? All right. I'm talking about poison. I'm talking about schools out. I'm talking about no more Mr. Nice Guy. And if you ever thought that you would hear the word Alice Cooper in church and you're freaking out right now, that's okay. Welcome to Asante Church. We're a little weird. We do things differently here. All right. So you can't really see these pictures. That's all right. They didn't really work out. Alice Cooper is a legendary rock star. This is a man who reached the very pinnacle, the very peak of the rock and roll game. And what does he say? What does Greg Laurie say about his time with him? Had an amazing time today with my friend Alice Cooper in Arizona. And that's us, guys. We made it. (laughs) We did an interview together, and you are not going to believe what you hear when we release this. Alice talks about the emptiness of life, of the life, of the pursuit of fame, and how he found everything he is looking for in his relationship with Christ. There's a lot of lore to be told about Alice. Yes, there is. Some true, some fiction. But I can tell you, having spent time today and other times, I have been with him. This guy knows the Lord. Here's what I want you to know. That you might be chasing a life that looks good and moral and trying to find your way to true life and trying to find fulfillment and satisfaction. That's never going to work. Or you might be going the other way and trying to live that rock and roll lifestyle, trying to find yourself or escape or fulfillment or excitement just to feel alive in all the rock and roll ways. Sex, drugs, pills, doesn't matter. I want you to know that as much as you seek that out and as much as you try to find true life or at least fulfillment or satisfaction within that, No matter how good you are at sinning, I want you to know you will never be better than Alice Cooper, okay? You might be doing pretty good in your own eyes, but he's done it better, okay? And if you could see a picture of this man, you would see the lines on his face. And that's not just because he's probably in his 70s and he's still wearing all black leather and boots and really just pretty incredible. But this man has lines on his face because he has lived a hard life, okay? These are party lines that are etched within his skin because he has lived a hard life. And as much as he pursued that, what did he find? He found that it was empty. He found that there was nothing there for him and that the truth, that fulfillment is only found in Jesus. And so if you came to church this morning feeling like your life is empty, feeling like it is pointless, I want you to know that fulfillment satisfaction and purpose is only found in Jesus. And if you are looking for something more that is bigger than this little story that is empty that you've found yourself in, that can only be found when you are swept up into the bigger story of the gospel and what God is doing in our lives. 
John 1, 4. It says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. John 5, 26. For as the Father has life in himself, so he granted the Son also to have life in himself. Jesus has been given life by the Father. And not only can we experience true life on earth in Jesus, but we can experience true life in Jesus for an eternity. John 11, 25-26, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Just as we went over last week. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And then we see that Jesus bestows eternal life to us as believers when we give our dead, broken, messed up lives over to him. In a verse that I'm sure you've heard of, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So because he is the true life, true life can be ours. But true life can only be ours if it is found within him. And it's not just ours while we are here on earth, but it is ours for an eternity when we give our life to Jesus. Now, a lot of us may be sitting here and we may be thinking, man, this sounds like an extremely exclusive, extremely harsh thing to sit here and take in. And I want you to know that, yes, it is absolutely exclusive if you look at the fact that Jesus is the only way. But a man named Matt Carter and another man named Josh Redberg wrote this in their commentary on exalting Jesus in John, and I cannot put it any other way. But Christianity is not exclusive because of who it lets in. Jesus teaches anyone may come. It's not exclusive because you weren't good enough. It's certainly not exclusive because you think you are good enough, which you are not. Jesus preaches that anyone can come. Christianity is exclusive because there is only one way to get in. There is only one door. There is only one path. There's only one life, and that is in Jesus. Jesus alone brings men to God. He is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the way, and we want to follow the direction in which you are leading. We need you to show us the way out of sin, out of death, out of darkness in our lives and into restoration, into redemption, into reconciliation between us and the Father through the work that you did on the cross. Jesus, you are the truth and that is proven over and over again throughout your word. For those of us that are in here that are doubting, that are questioning, Help us to find the truth in your word, not to let those doubts, those questions keep nagging us, keep causing us to doubt. Jesus, let us look for the answer in you and let us find that you are the truth, that we can trust in you. We can build our lives, the foundations of our lives on you and you alone. Jesus, you are the life. And in you, life is given. Because in you, life was given. And Jesus, we thank you that you gave your life so that we could find ours through your death on a cross. We thank you for the gospel, 
We thank you that because we are not good enough to do this on our own, you lived the perfect life and you died the death that you didn't deserve. You gave us your righteousness so that when we put our faith and our trust in you, when we ask for forgiveness, that we are made new, we are made clean. Our old life is gone, it is forgotten, and we are found in you. As sons, as daughters that have been transformed, that have been clean, and that will continue to be transformed, continue to be made clean. Help us to live and find true life in you. Help us to put down the false lives that we have been pursuing, searching for satisfaction, for hope, for fulfillment, for purpose, and let us find that in you, Jesus. If you are in this room this morning and you have not found true life, if you are questioning and you want to find true life and you realize that that is in Jesus and Jesus alone, when Jesus calls you into relationship with him, if that is what is taking place in your life this morning and you would say, I've not given my life to Jesus, I've not found true life in him, and this morning I believe that he is the truth, I believe that he is the way, the only way to the Father, the only way into eternal life because of his death on the cross then I would ask that you would be brave, that you would be bold enough that you would write that on the connection card that you picked up when you came in, and that you would turn that in to the giving box on your way out. And that would be your gift to us so that we can reach out to you this week, so that we can look at what a relationship with Jesus looks like for you, what it looks like to follow Jesus in the way, to believe that he is the truth and to receive the life from him. Jesus, we love you. I thank you for this church. I thank you for the purpose and the mission that you have called us to. Thank you that we get to continue to worship you this morning. In your name we pray. Amen.